morning. This will be part two of my message titled The Kingdom Church. In the first part, I showed where Jesus related the church to the kingdom, and I showed where we received that in the Bible. Now, as you very well know, his entire ministry was related to kingdom issues. Spent his entire time talking about how to live and rule a kingdom. All of the parables I pointed out were kingdom-centered. I showed where Jesus taught for us to give our gifts privately without a big issue being made of it so that everyone around knew what great sacrifices we made. And I showed where Jesus taught that for us to retreat into our closet to pray. And of course, you and I know that the mind is the most private closet that is to be found anywhere. Now, it is for that reason that the mind is the closet that no government, no government, and forbid anyone at any time to pray any time they desire. Children can pray before they take a test in school, even though there is a ban on such issues. Anyone can pray at any time. In fact, we are supposed to be talking to God constantly. When we arrive and arise in the morning by the wayside in the night, when we retire at night. When we talk to him, we, we just everything we do, we're asking for guidance. Is this the right thing? We ask for what to do next. Uh, we just talk to him. and We tell him how much we love him. Jesus also said in Matthew 6 and 15, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. I showed also in part one where Paul was a chosen man of God. He was a chosen man of God. He was a man of God. Make no bones about it. There are those who say that perhaps he was not. He was. His apostleship gave us insights that only a person of his training could have accomplished. It was for a purpose that he was chosen. I pointed out that Origen, one of our best known and early church fathers, showed where God has always given us what he called stumbling blocks in our path before we can get on to our desired goal. Life is full of stumbling blocks. Sometimes they're confusing to us, uh, but they're nevertheless there, and we must accept them and get on with what we are asked to do. And that is exactly what happened with the idea of churches being stumbling blocks. There was a reason why that was set up that way. Those stumbling blocks already started in the churches during the very first centuries of Christianity, very early on. The pagan and the heathen peoples of the earth have always had their priestcraft. The priestcraft that was feared above all else. They could put you to death. It was a matter of life and death that this priestcraft led you. 
God in all of His infinite wisdom knew the end from the beginning. He knew that priestcraft, He knew that priestcraft would find its way into the Christian movement. And we, it is our purpose to sort it out. There is a difference between a kingdom church and the ordinary priestcraft type church. We are all a kingdom of priests and all the identity movement are kingdom churches. We teach the whole gospel, the full spectrum of what we're to do. We're trying to teach just how do we live in a kingdom? How do we rule a kingdom? That's the reason when we come to camps, we have messages of all sorts, all the way from health to law to history to things of this nature so that we can better understand how we uh, are to behave. And all the while, each of us are to be praying to God constantly. Now, I don't believe that there is a person here that doesn't agree with me that to the point that we as a nation, as a people, are nowhere near kingdom living. And I can say unto you that that is because in great part our Judeo-Christian churches have taken away kingdom living from us. I believe that we will also agree that these mainline churches of the world are not helping one iota. They're taking it away from us. They won't speak about the issues that Jesus brought us. In this part two of the message that I titled The Kingdom Church, I want to show some examples of priestcraft within the Christian movement from the very beginning to the present. First, I would like to show the relationship with the seven churches that are discussed in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. So I would suggest that you turn to there. Now, I'm not going to be reading down verbatim, but you may do so as I speak, and that will kind of show how we're flowing along, because there won't be time to go through it if I did it just in reading at all. We know that John the Revelator wrote the book of Revelations in the form of a play. All students of the Bible will agree that that is pretty much the truth, or a, you might say a drama. He wrote the drama with seven acts, and each act had seven scenes in it. And that was repeated six times throughout the book of Revelation. Each act was to, uh, uh, was to the seven churches were in, these acts were, to the seven churches were a mixed bag of good and evil, and that pattern has presented itself, persisted itself down through the ages. We will show what happened when they accomplished what Jesus wanted in building the kingdom, and we will show what happened when they turned priestcraft, just like the heathen have done throughout history, and as they do today in the darker nations of the world. The first church mentioned by John was the church at Ephesus. It, it, in, this, in this first church, his statement on the first church that he received from God gives us the clue. It gives us the setting. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, 
These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them from which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say, say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. In other words, it was a type of church that we could re- very easily relate to today. We have among us the church at Ephesus in modern Christianity, Judeo-Christianity. They think they have ministers who teach the truth. They certainly haven't fainted yet. They're still very powerful and very strong. Nevertheless, John says, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come. Unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlesticks out of the place, except that thou repent. Now, did you get what he said there? Because thou hast left thy first love, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. What was this first love that John is speaking about here? Teaching the lessons of Matthew 13. The churches had already left it. The parables of the kingdom. It was the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, such as this, in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. We hear that often, but our churches have lost their savor. They have given up their first love. They quit teaching the kingdom parables. Another point in verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our churches close the doors and they will not discuss the affairs of state. They will not discuss the problems that are going on all around them for fear of losing their 501c3. How about this one that they have given up as their first love? Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Why mistaken discussions 
of Paul. We still have the laws, statutes, and judgments. They're in effect. We in the kingdom church, in our message, in our movement, teach that. The mainline churches refuse to teach that. It is priestcraft. Then we have another point in command, uh, for, uh, in command for to us. Repent and do the first works. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, we read, But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Our churches don't teach that. Jews are Israel. We're not Israel. You and I know we are. We teach it, and we will continue to teach it. In chapter 10, he directs his apostles to do the same thing. Verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and to any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We don't do that in the mainline churches today. We don't send our missionaries. We don't send our preachers to the, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We bring in people of all walks of the world and we welcome them in and we teach them nothing. The church at Ephesus was surrounded by heathen priestcraft. The cult of Diana was there. The first temple of the goddess Artemis was in Ephesus. It was here in this setting that Paul, in his 19th chap- in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, tried to get the people to forget these gods that were made with hands. Paul tried to get them to stop. The Ephesians came very angry with him, and his life was in danger for him trying to say, forget these gods. Go back to the one and only God. So Paul tried to clean it up, but it didn't work. It is obvious that the book of Ephesians was written to a people who were deeply divided. And Paul was trying to bring unity to the Christian movement there. The large number of Jews in Ephesus, along with the heathen movements, were making inroads into the Christian sect. And they were pulling the newly found Christians out of Christianity and putting them back into heathendom and into Judaism. There was fornication there. There was covenantness there. There was filthiness there. Corrupt communication, bitterness, anger, and evil speaking. Do we see anything different today? It's the same. So nothing new under the sun. Our churches are full of it. This was the church that at Ephesus that John was describing in chapter 2 of the book of Revelations. The church history shows that these problems got no better. For example, during the 5th century, there was a meeting called the Council of Ephesus. It was held in Ephesus. It was convened in 431 to address the same problems within the church. There were edicts made by the Pope to cease the infighting between various factions of the church. 
Claims of heresy were hurled back and forth. Bishops were fighting each other. Nothing new under the sun, is there? All of this led, at least partly, to the split between the Roman Church and the Eastern Church. All is priestcraft. That edict of the Pope did not return. He had no desire to return to the first love of building the kingdom as Jesus directed us to do. That wasn't his mission. It was nothing but splitting hairs on doctrine and doctrine and dogma. That's all that was going on, such as we have in Judeo-Christianity today. That's priestcraft. But the second church, the church at Smyrna, received praise by God for their efforts. They were outwardly very poor and in poverty but they were rich in their zeal for building the kingdom. That reminds me of a movement today, doesn't it? We are rich in our zeal for building the kingdom, yet we are very poor as a movement. The town had many Talmudic Jews in it, Smyrna, and they viciously fought the Christians over the right of being the true Israel, just as it is today. John said that being cast into prison for their belief was to be in their future. And we have that to look forward to, what with the edicts of government. It is here in the plight of Smyrna that we can gain strength for the fight that we are in. The church at Smyrna should give us strength. That fight that then came for the same reasons as it is today. It was for the same reasons that's going on today in Judeo-Christianity and in, to, in government with respect to us as it was going on in Smyrna. That question is, who are the true Israelites? They argued it then, and we debate it now. It was the first church, it was the church rather at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia, these two, that was praised by God. Just two out of the seven. The rest were in trouble. In chapter 3 of the book of Revelations, and starting in verse 7, we read this about the church at Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, it, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. And thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them, them, of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, but are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them, that dwell upon the earth. 
So here in Philadelphia, the Ecclesia, the kingdom, the kingdom church was doing the will of God. They were doing what Jesus commanded. Now we want to believe that we have the key of David. We really truly believe that we have the key of David. We want to believe that our arguments as to who is true Israel is so strong that the door cannot be shut on it at all. We must hold to that faith and never let it leave us. Jesus has set before us an open door. And right this moment we have a window of opportunity to start the ball rolling and destroying this carnal beast. We can be considered to have a little strength, but I am telling you that little strength that we have is more than enough. Remember, God plus one is a majority. So we have a little strength, but as long as we keep praying in our closet, everywhere we go, every living moment that we are alive every day, to Him for guidance, strength, and wisdom, and love and patience and understanding, we will win. We must continue to try to keep the Word of God. Never give it up. Don't turn your back on it. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Finally, when comparing our movement with the church at Philadelphia, we must have the faith that He will keep us from the hour of temptation. Do not be tempted by anything, anybody. Keep your goal your sights on Jesus Christ and the kingdom. We must never, ever succumb to the evils of priestcraft. From time to time, it tries to creep itself into our movement. Don't let it happen. Keep it out of our churches. The kingdom church in our movement is running through, and there's very, very few within the churches of our movement that won't get out and fight for Christ and fight for Israel. The other churches of Asia Asia, represented the other evils that has crept into Christianity. And if you read these seven churches, you just almost can see what has happened down through history and see how it all folds out into modern America. The church at Pergamos was, had those in the church who held the belief of Balaam. What this passage in Revelations 2 means is that there were those in the church who openly worked to getting the Christians to defect to Judaism. And we have people come to us all the time to try to get us to defect to, back to what might be Talmudic Judaism. We have uh, Messianic Jews who come aboard and try to teach us Talmudic concept of Judaism within Christianity. We have these people who are converted Jews who preach in the Christian faith. All the while they teach Talmudic concepts and they otherwise convert our people back to Judaism. There is also a tremendous effort that is being done within the alternative uh, newsletters. 
the alternative media that is prevalent today uh, is by and large basically excellent. And we must stay with it and try to support it and get it to grow because it is, because it is there where we can get to people and teach them the true fact of kingdom living. But we've got to stay with that and try to keep out these Talmudizers out of the alternative newsletter business and have them put the name of identity on their newsletter. They are not identity. They don't belong to us. We should not pay any attention to them and we should get them away from us. Also, the Nicolaitans in Pergamos taught uh, Christians to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. One of the beliefs of the Nicolaitans is that of the Gaian heresy. Have you ever heard of the Gaian heresy, the goddess Gaia? It's all around you. Billy Graham teaches Gaian heresy. The mother god of nature. All of the environmental movement is followers of mother god Gaia. And we have churches in the Judean Christian churches today that believe in this concept that these people are teaching you. Earth in the balance by our vice president is Gaian conspiracy. So we have that in modern day Christianity. We have the tree huggers. It's what we call them, the tree huggers. And we've got to stop this. We've got to work to stop in this. If we are to be a kingdom of priests in kingdom living, we have got to have them cease and desist in this country doing that sort of thing. We have to fight that issue. The church at Thyatira was similar to that of Pergamos. In addition, they had the prophetess Jezebel who taught the children of fornication as well as eating things sacrificed to idols. She taught what we would call today devil worship. And we have an immense amount of that even in so-called Christianity. Let me ask you this. Why do I say that? Let me ask you this. Is it not true that you are in reverence to whom you fear? That's biblical. The Bible teaches us to fear God. Hebrews 10 and verse 31 says this, It is a fearful thing to come to fall into the hands of the living God. The Hebrew word for fear is Yahweh. And it means to be fearful of, be afraid of, to be frightened of, and, into, and to be in reverence of. Our churches have for many years taught our people to be afraid of and be fearful of the, this thing called the devil. The Judeo-Christian churches teach our people to fear the devil and to love God. The prophetess Jezebel got her concept, concept of devil worship from Zoroasterism, the yin and the yang, the god and devil of dualism. And our churches teach dualism. It is the last church, the church of Laodicea, that best describes modern Christianity. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, John writes this, 
I know thy works. Thou art neither hot, cold, nor hot. I would thou word cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The church at Laodicea. Lukewarm Christianity. That is exactly what the priestcraft of modern Christianity has become. We must not talk about anything controversial, must we? If we do that, don't you understand, we will be considered politically incorrect. And that if we're in politically incorrect, our 501c3s will be removed from us. This is Laodicea. They teach that government is for good, no matter how evil it is. We know better. That's misunderstood Paul in Romans 13. We have treatises on the true meaning of Romans 13. We won't go into it here. But Paul didn't say that all governments should be followed, whether they were evil or good. Continuing with verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, we have and have need for nothing, and knowest not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's what they are. They are miserably poor. Even though they have a wealth of money and edifices, they are poor. They're wretched. They're miserable. And they're blind. Certainly they're blind. And they certainly are naked. I, I, I remember years ago, we were attending the Episcopal Church. Uh, I got tired of the Judeo-Christian aspect of never saying anything at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning in the Methodist Church where we were born and raised, both of us, and we, we had to walk out of that. and We just couldn't take it anymore. And Anyway, uh, they talked me into going to Episcopal Church because there you never got preached at except 20 minutes of a canned sermon, and uh, it was out of the, 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 uh, uh, the uh, handbook, and so... Uh, it, it was something at least you could uh, associate with people, and we did that for the children's sake, I guess. And they talked me into being a lay reader, a lay preacher. The church um, at the time was a small but very beautiful little chapel, and it held everybody it needed, and everybody that was Episcopalian in town, and there wasn't any need for a bigger church. But it was decided that a bigger, very pretentious building was needed. A meeting was held on a Wednesday night for the purpose of hearing a man from New York who was a specialist in money-gathering techniques for churches. That was his specialty. That, that was his job, and this is all he did. He was a New York Jew, and he <clears throat> outlined in his presentation to us the procedures that he would follow. And it was by outright browbeating of the congregation that the money for this church was to be built. It was a system of you give or till it hurts or until you bleed or else. He contracted for the job and he got 50% of all of the tithing. It was absolutely disgusting talking about Laodicea and wanting to vomit it out of your mouth, that was it. 
It reminded me of the verses relative to that. I have heard TV preachers selling one-inch square pieces of rugs and other cloth that had been prayed over at different locations in Jerusalem. Money-making. Money. Money. Lots of money is the biggest concern that so many preachers have today. It is priestcraft, and it has nothing to do whatsoever with kingdom church that Jesus gave us. Nothing. Years ago, Brother Peters and I got the, he got the idea of going to a large gathering of Baptist preachers in Lynchburg, at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. And uh, it was for the purpose of telling, challenging Jerry Falwell to a debate on the identity message. And uh, he asked me to go with him to take photographs uh, of the challenge and of the debate and to act uh, as a witness for him as to the work that he was doing. And it was hilarious to watch this happen. Uh, here, <laughs> it was funny. Here were the 500 big wheel uh, uh, priestcraft type Baptist ministers in this uh, convention, and uh, he got on the list to ask a question. It was two uh, podiums opposite each other, about 25 feet, and Jerry Falwell was over here. We call him Jewelry Falwell. Anyway, he was over here, and, uh, and, and finally it was Pete's turn to come up to Jerry Falwell. And uh, Pete was very uh, circumspect, and he was scared to death. I mean, you know, here, here he was. You understand, uh, he was probably maybe 40. And he was, both of us knew and had full of zeal. And uh, so uh, he uh, made the question. He did it. And um, Jerry Falwell accepted the challenge. It was neat. But I didn't have to take pictures of the, of the uh, uh, challenge, of the conversation that took place in the challenge, because Jerry Falwell chickened out in 20 minutes. And his advisors got to him and said, don't do it. Because his advisors knew we had him locked up tight. Pete would have just twisted him up into a little knot. But he wasn't going to do that, was he? That's not the point I wanted to make. Just a little for free. While we were there, Pete and I wanted to attend a special meeting for those ministers who wanted to increase their tithing. And we were not interested in the purpose of the meeting. Honestly, we weren't. We wanted to learn just how these turkeys would go about getting more money. There's an art to it. It's very clever. The speaker was a man named Johnny Dollar, Dr. Johnny Dollar. That was the most appropriate name for this character. And at the time, I thought this man had to be a Jew. He had the fruits of one. It sounded like a Jewish name, Dollar. Anyway, he spent the entire time telling these men how they can increase their tithing. He would ask different ministers a very specific question. How much do you make? I'll get this now. How much do you make on a per head basis? Now, isn't that a kind of what you think about when you sell cattle in a ring? <laughs> How much do you make on a per head basis? I got 50 cows there and I made so much dollars that it's divided out to about 50. And, oh, my goodness. 
Well, one guy gets up and he says, oh, I get about $15 per head. Wow. Another one would respond with the average of 12, and another with 9, and so forth. He went around all these. It was at a luncheon, very nice luncheon, for which we had to pay to get in, of course. And uh, he said this, whatever it is, if you listen to me and stay with me, I guarantee you we will double it in one year. Boy, Pete and I looked at each other. He looked at me. He said, have you heard enough? I said, more than enough. So he and I just put our silverware across the plate, got up and walked out right in front of them. And here were about 200 eyes looking at us as we were walking out. It was a real glorious exit. You know, this business is an interesting one. <laughs> being, being a minister in the kingdom church is a very interesting situation. What we saw there was preachcraft, and that is what goes on in the modern churches of Laodicea. That is not a church, and it is not the ecclesia. It is a business, and people are leaving it by the millions. People understand the scam. And praise God for you who have left that scam and have joined us. In closing, I want to uh, read uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. There's not a bit of difference between now and then. That entire concept is not Christian. We know the story of the parable of the wheat and the tares is found in Matthew 13. We know it very well. We won't even need to necessarily turn to it. However, permit me to read what Fawcett's Bible Cyclopedia has to say about that parable. This is the most interesting way of concluding this. After he described the technical differences of the two plants, and what those technical differences are is that the pear is a, a, a plant called the darnel, and it's a wheat-type grass. It's a degeneration of wheat. It's wheat, but it is totally fruitless. There's nothing in the head, nothing. And so here it is all intertwined with the good wheat, and Jesus said, wait until the harvest and separate it on the threshing floor. And so here is, are these this tares all around us, and uh, it's to be separated on the threshing floor. So he replay, then he goes on to relate that parable to the history of the church. And this is what he writes, and this is what I want to present to you. The attempt to forestall his judgment, God's judgment, for the sake of securing a pure church 
has always failed. Did you get that? And has only tended to foster spiritual pride and hypocrisy. There are some warnings here, people. The tares are degenerate wheat, so the parable is not about a generation, but about a degeneration. What are we going to do in our kingdom churches? How are we going to handle this problem that may creep into us? We've got to handle it. It's already trying its darnest to creep in in places. We've got to attack it. We're going to teach and preach the kingdom message. We have tried for over 2,000 years to do what was commanded to do. We have always failed. When are these Judeo-Christian churches going to learn that they cannot enter into their cloistered halls, close the doors, these big beautiful edifices, and shut out the world? They can't do it. The world is just outside the door. They have to go out there and let the light shine, not hide it under the bushel. It is the ecclesia, all right. It's a church. But it is not preaching the kingdom. It's not a kingdom church. When the ecclesia does nothing but sit in their pews and quake and shout, Sweet Jesus, they are not letting their light shine. Every time throughout the past 2,000 years, whenever the ecclesia realizes the hypocrisy of priestcraft and leaves that kind of church, things start to happen and change their country for a better kingdom. Every time. And it has always been some so-called reprobate minister who leads the way. The Roman church was about as evil as any, any group could possibly be. It was totalitarian. It was oppressive. It was evil. It was money-hungry, and it was hypocritical. Long came a reprobate minister named Martin Luther. Before it was over, Martin Luther had an actual army defending him and his purpose. Martin Luther. We got the Reformation out of it, and we got Protestantism out of it. It was another cleansing of the church. But we got right back into it, didn't we? When the ministers of the mainline churches throws away the baggage that has been forced on them by their sacrosanct seminaries and taught to them generally by Jewish rabbis, then we can start purifying the kingdom. And that is our job. We have got to get to those people. To all of you who have left your churches because of their priestcraft and their hypocrisy, I am so very, very proud of you, each and every one of you. 
it's hard, I know, to have people with which to fellowship. As you leave here, you're going to go home and you're going to be lonely. No, you're not. When two are gathered in, together in my name, they're in mine. When you are home, gather together as a family and with friends, wherever you can find them. Those that you can say, come on over, like for you to hear a tape or see a video. Talk about this or that. Go easy. Don't lay the whole nine yards on them. You just scare them. Get out and move about. You can't perfect the kingdom by turning your home in just another cloistered hall. It won't work. You can't do it. But remember, whatever you do on your part, be circumspect about it, be very Christian, and don't try to lay the whole nine yards on at once. I know in my youth, when I was young in this, I say youth, I mean relative in the ministry, uh, I tried that, and I just failed miserably, and I got a whole little town so upset with me they won't even talk to me. In all of your efforts, act in the manner that Jesus would want his body of Christ to act. I thank you for putting up for this old reprobate minister. God be with you.